Welcome to a podcast about wealth and life with the advisors from Foster and Motley. In this podcast, they share their mission to help individuals, couples, and families achieve the life they envision by providing a comprehensive wealth management experience. Join this seasoned team of experts as they explore actionable steps to improve your financial well-being and answer your most pressing questions. Some people like to take risks, but others don't. The question is how much risk is too much when it comes to managing your assets for retirement? And for that matter, how much is not enough? Asset allocation means deciding where to put your dollars so they create your ideal return. I'm Patrice Sikora, and in this episode of Foster and Motley's podcast about wealth and life, we have investment manager Ryan English and financial planner Tony Lockhart to help with some answers. But before we get going, guys, by the way, welcome. We need to learn a little bit more about the two of you because you haven't been on the podcast before. So it is time to introduce yourselves. Ryan, you're going first. You're an investment manager. How'd you, how'd you get to that career? Well, I started out at a, at a bank. I always knew I wanted to be in the investment business when I was uh, in school studying business and uh, started in a trading department for a large regional bank. And it was very exciting being on the trading floor. There was a lot of activity, buying and selling stocks, options. It really fueled my passion for what I'm doing now in the investment management business. Uh, researching companies, working with clients to structure their, their portfolios. And ultimately, I do lead their investment team at Foster & Motley. So I've been here about five years. Uh, I'm very excited I made the move over here. All right. Now, Tony, you're a financial planner, right? I am, Patrice. Okay. So which route did you take to get to Foster & Motley? Good question. I kind of got interested in all things money as a as a small kid. Uh, my father was a, a banker at a a small one branch bank and people from time to time would bring in loose change and he'd bring it home with, we'd spread it out on the floor and get the coin wrappers out. And we'd wrap (laughs) all the, all the money in the coins or all the uh, coins in the wrappers rather. I kind of like just was kind of around money all, all my childhood. And it was always just something that was interesting to me. And I have worked in the investment industry uh, the past 23 years, I spent 10 years at a, another uh, investment group, and the last 13 years have been with Foster and Motley as uh, as a as a financial planner, helping families understand their things financial and helping accomplish their goals. I'm always amazed that you guys always seem to know that this is what you wanted to do all your lives. I that that just blows me away. The two of you, great. So let's put your collective experience together here, shall we? We're going to talk about asset allocation. First of all, what is it? Well, asset allocation can most easily be described as your mix or your percentage of stocks and bonds that you own in a portfolio. Those percentages certainly vary by clients based on their risk tolerance and their their age and what they need to accomplish with the portfolio. Well, why is it important? You say it, it accomplishes what they need. How, how does it do that? I think it's the most simplest and most important decision because it helps them determine their overall risk posture. You know, stocks are riskiest investment over any short period of time because they have the most volatility over short periods of time. They give you the best chance of outpacing inflation over the long term. Whereas cash is cash and bonds are the absolute opposite. They're the, the safest over the short term because there's very little principal risk. They give you 
the least chance of outpacing inflation over the long term. Well, especially now when you've got interest rates that are like, meh, nothing. Exactly. Yeah, it's a it's a balance trying to get the right mix, the optimal mix for a client. Clients typically need some growth in their portfolio uh, to maintain their lifestyle, to maintain the purchasing power of their distribution. So that speaks to stocks, whereas they also need capital preservation. They need, even though interest rates are low, you know, bonds do serve a purpose. When you have rough times, recessions, or bad stock markets, bonds tend to hold up better. And that helps when clients are withdrawing principal from their portfolio to live off of. Ryan, I think you just you just hit it on the nail there. How do you do this? How do you figure that out? Is it different for each person? It is different for each person. I mean, everybody's situation is unique. They have a different pot that they're working with, how much money. They have different spending needs, and they're also you know, not certainly all the same age and they have different tolerance for risk. I mean, some clients can withstand larger drawdowns in the equity markets than others and and feel okay. Others cannot. We have an asset allocation framework uh, that we developed internally that takes into consideration a client's age, how many years or if they are in retirement, how much in distributions they will need from that portfolio and their risk tolerance. We have a a risk tolerance assessment that we have each client fill out. And ultimately we put all of this information into our model. It populates with a targeted asset allocation. Now there is some discretion too amongst the investment managers because you know, the quantitative approach doesn't necessarily capture everything. Right. the The interaction with the clients feel that the investment manager might get for their risk tolerance that may be a little bit different on paper or how much in anticipated returns they are expecting. I mean, there there is certainly some qualitative or discretionary aspect to adjusting the asset allocation for clients too, to reach kind of that optimal or try to reach that optimal point. Yeah, yeah some people on paper seem to think, oh, I, I'm, I'll take on that risk. That's okay. But no, not really. You only know if you're you're taking on that risk when that event happens, when that bad market happens, and then you find out, well, what is my risk tolerance exactly? That's so true. We try to get clients to understand that up front. We have historical models for markets where you have different periods of tough markets. Think the Great Depression of the 1920s, stagflation of the 70s, the technology bubble bursting in the late 90s, or the Great Financial Crisis of 2007, 2008. And what that asset allocation would have performed like in terms of its low point for client portfolios if that client were invested in that particular style at that time. So we do like to be upfront. Hey, you know, this is something you got to be willing to stomach if you want to take more risk. Like this is what can happen. But I mean, the end message too is that. Over time, the stock market has done extremely well. We're at an all-time high right now, and we've certainly been through a lot over many, many decades. But the stock market has continued to perform and uh, provided adequate return for clients. So, Yeah, when you look at the, pa- the past, it's, it's a woulda, coulda, shoulda. Tony, how do you deal with people who are saying, but it did this then, what's it going to do now? Yeah, I think Ryan had a really good point that I'd, I'd like to, to, to back up on is, we don't know what the markets are going to do over any short period of time. Stocks have gone up over the long-term periods of time. But as Ryan pointed out before, you know, you really never know what your risk tolerance is until 
you go through one of those events and the importance of attempting to get it close to right prior to one of those events is huge because if a client goes into one of those events and they're, they have a asset allocation that is greater than their risk tolerance, we go through one of those events where we, events where we see a significant drawback, they get uncomfortable. Now they want to sell stocks at the absolute worst wrong time when, when the market's down. Spending time upfront to come up with an asset allocation strategy that's appropriate for your overall situation and us working through that with you to help you understand where your risk posture fits into your comfort level is hugely important in helping you stay the course over the long term. And here you're talking about generating income for day to day, year to year, maybe taking a trip. But what if your client says, I want to take care of my grandkids? How do you plan for that? It is interesting from the standpoint of if you are not, if you're in the situation where we call it home free, home free means that you've got more income, your portfolio is generating more income from dividends and interest than you need for your spending needs, right? Uh And in that situation, you're home free. You're not really worried about the underlying value of your investments if the income that the portfolio is generating is, is handling all your distribution needs, all your living needs. Therefore, you have, you're in the distinct situation where you can either be more conservative and say, I don't want to take as much risk because I don't have the comfort with seeing a lot of volatility. Or you can say, hey, I'd like to take more risk with the idea that I'm not investing for my lifetime. I'm investing for the next generation. So, you know, someone who is 80 years old may have a fairly aggressive portfolio if their goal is to leave a legacy to their heirs and they're not relying upon the portfolio for heavily for all their their living and distribution needs. If a client portfolio generates enough income or you know is large enough to sustain any adverse event and they can still maintain their lifestyle, then the the focus if they have legacy goals does shift to well, you know, what is the appropriate way to invest this money if our ultimate goal is to pass on a large sum to our children. In that in that particular case, you would want to factor in how old are those children at this particular point. And then, you know, we would also outside of that be looking, well, what are the best avenues or the best methods to pass this money down to those children as well? We've been talking about basically stocks, bonds, that type of investment here. What if someone comes to you and they have a pension or they've got some pretty hefty real estate? How do you work that in? Yeah, I mean, and that's, you know, that's kind of how asset allocation has evolved over time as well. I think there used to be general rule of thumb. This is your age and this is about what you should own in stocks. In customizing an allocation for clients, you do have to take things into consideration outside of the traditional marketable securities. And those include things like a pension income. I mean, that is purely a definition of fixed income, right? You would want to take that into consideration for the investment assets. And in turn, that would that would be accounted for in the overall asset allocation. And what would happen is the uh, traditional marketable securities would be a higher percentage of stocks when you factor in that pension income, as well as real estate. I and mean, we have clients that invest in real estate uh, on their own. And 
you wouldn't want that to be too high as a percentage of their portfolio. I mean, real estate is a good investment. It has performed well over time, but um, you know, ultimately it can run into difficulties. That would be taken into consideration. We have dedicated real estate investments in client portfolios. And in that case, we would um, not necessarily own as much real estate through what Foster Motley did. Tony, tell me about the bucket strategy when you're breaking down an asset allocation plan. Yeah, good question, Patrice. This term of asset allocation is somewhat nebulous. It's like, oh, I got this asset allocation strategy. And okay, what does that really mean? And, and in times of uh, market volatility, you know, clients will come to us and say, oh, you know, I should I be making some changes because the market's down. And that's really when I like to I like to focus on this concept of the bucket strategy, breaking asset allocation into a bucket strategy. And the idea being that you have enough in cash for a year or two worth of expenses. You wouldn't be forced to sell anything at any low point if you have enough cash on hand. You wouldn't be forced to sell stocks. You have a bonds to fill up the next bucket, which may be three to five or three to seven years. And anything that is longer than that, you know, seven to 10 years, you can invest in, in stocks with the idea being that there are very few 10-year periods where stocks have had negative returns. Mm-hmm. So in times of market t- turmoil, you're living off of the cash, you're living off of the bonds in the portfolio, which allows the portfolio to recover, the stock side of the portfolio to recover and not be forced to sell it at low prices at the absolute wrong time. Ryan, talk to me about investing strategy and how it relates to asset allocation. Another another point to add is investment strategy, we're, we've talked kind of high level, your mix of stocks and bonds overall. There's more kind of under the hood to that. It's There's also a question, well, 30% bonds, well, what is in that 30% bonds? So there's yeah. even more allocation kind of underneath, well, you know, what percentage of high yield does that make up? And stocks, I mean, what's your mix of U.S. stocks versus international stocks? So, I mean, those are things that are also incorporated in not only your high-level asset allocation, but more detailed asset allocation. That's a very interesting point about the, the um, bonds. I don't think very many people realize that there are all different steps in bonds that you can take different risk, different, different lengths of time. Tell me about that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you've got, of course, the most obvious credit risk, whereas, well, you know, this this company or this municipality that I'm loaning money to, will they pay me back? How much credit risk do they have? How much interest rate risk do they have? Uh, you know, that's purely a function of how long of a bond that you are buying in terms of number of years. Uh, the longer dated bonds typically have more interest rate risk. In a rising interest rate environment, you are going to lose more on a principal basis if uh, interest rates go up and that bond's value goes down. So there's different there's different components or variables that you got to take in consideration when investing in bonds as well. All right. Tony? Yeah, I'd like to kind of bring it back a a touch. I mean, when you talk about asset allocation, you know, the the importance of having an asset allocation strategy is that it allows you to control your risk. So if we just say, okay, it's stocks, you know, growth stuff, which are mostly stocks versus income producing stuff, which is more bonds and cash. We say, ah, overall, I want to have a 60-40 portfolio, 60% in growth and and 40% in 
income producing stuff. And then I go a year from now and the stock market does a really stock market does really well. And I'm 70 percent in, in growth stuff. Well, now I'm taking 10 percent more risk than I really wanted to take. So the idea of having this asset allocation strategy is it allows you to say, hey, I'm taking more risk. Let's take 10 percent of the the growth off of the portfolio from the, the growth side of the portfolio and rebalance that back into bonds and cash. So it allows you to consistently win as an investor. You're selling, you're taking gains off the table from things that have done well, and you're taking those gains and rebuying into things that haven't done well at, at depressed prices. So you're in that 60-40 allocation, for example, you'd you know, sell 10% of growth and buy 40% of bonds to, to put you back into your, your 60, 40 away from your 70, 30 and maintain that allocation that's appropriate for your longer term goals. And that goes even further into specific allocations that we have to large cap stocks or small cap stocks. If large cap stocks are doing well and small caps aren't, we have specific targets to each of those. We're selling large cap stocks and rebalancing back into small and mid cap stocks in line with your target. So it allows you by having this strategy, it eliminates a lot of the fear and the greed that kind of comes into most investors behaviors and decisions. And it allows you to consistently win as an investor, sell what's been doing well and buy what's at depressed values, buy what's on sale, so to speak. So those targets then give you the, the triggers to rebalance. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, that's a very good point, Tony. I mean, what, asset allocation does is it really maintains discipline, right? And discipline is needed at kind of two extremes, especially the most obvious one being when the market goes down and clients may want to sell stocks because it feels like the safe thing to do. But history would say that's not necessarily the right thing to do, mm -hmm. but it also works at the other extreme. I and mean, when stocks are doing extremely well you know, everybody's got a story at a cocktail party about some sort of stock that they made a bunch of money on, you know, or maybe it's a cryptocurrency. Oh, no, uh, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Going there. Um, you got to still be disciplined at that point. And we, we, we establish strategic long-term asset allocation targets for a reason in normal environments where everyone can agree that this is the right approach and this is why we are doing it. Fear and greed. I hear you saying both those words, right? That is correct. Fear and greed. How do you talk somebody off the ledge? You know, say, listen, don't sell or don't buy. Not now. Well, I mean, it's, it's e easiest done by putting evidence in front of someone to say, hey, you know, this is what happened in this particular period. And the most recent one, of course, being 2008. This is what those who sold, it's very difficult to get back in the market. And suddenly the market comes back when you least expect it. When there's still a lot of bad news in the air, people are wondering, well, why is the market going up when there's still so much bad news? But these things tend to happen fairly quickly in terms of, you know, at least recovering a, a significant amount or a chunk of, of what was lost. I mean, showing, showing clients historically how it would have benefited them to stay invested is I think the best thing that relates to, um, to keeping clients invested during difficult times. Tony, how do you keep them happy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it, you know, relates back to having a strategy and having an asset allocation strategy as part of that, you know, most people want to, 
put the cart in front of the horse. You want to talk about investments versus, you know, having the asset allocation strategy. And, and it, it kind of goes back to that bucket strategy by having that strategy in, in times of, of turmoil, we can pull back and say, Hey, you know, you're in the situation, you're, you're financially in a spot. You have an investment strategy that allows you to stay the course because you're not forced to sell stocks when they're down because you have bonds and cash as part of the portfolio to live on until the, the portfolio recovers. And that tends to, it tends to resonate. It helps, helps take some of that emotion out of the equation. I mean, I think that most people, there's anxiety. We all have anxiety when, when markets are doing crazy things. And the way that we help as individuals, our primitive brain kind of takes over and says, we should be doing something. We should either be fighting or <laughs> running or whatever it may be. And then they talk to us and, and we talk through kind of how they're, how it fits into their overall situation and what we're doing. And, you know, that staying the course is the appropriate thing to do. And that oftentimes means we're selling, we're, we're buying stocks when the market's down to buy them at the cheap. As the market recovers, it's uh, being able to buy stocks at less expensive prices has a big impact on their overall financial situation. Talk to me about sequencing risk. I don't get this. Tell me about it. Well, sequencing risk. I mean, there's, there's kind of two types of risks in taking distributions from a portfolio in retirement. Uh, you know, one of those being obvious income. Does the portfolio produce enough income for a client to solely live off that? And in, mo in most cases, the answer is no, it does not, especially in this particular environment. So then you have sequencing risk, and that is, you know, withdrawing principal from the portfolio and the sequence in which that occurs. So the most inopportune time, of course, to withdraw principal from a portfolio is when the market is down, when the portfolio is down. That is what sequencing risk really is. That is what kind of the biggest risk. I mean, the, the rule of thumb for taking distributions out of a portfolio used to be 4%. And that's still a good rough figure to think about. But in a lower interest rate environment, that's a little bit more difficult. We do financial modeling, financial independence analysis that does factor in sequencing risk. Uh, does my plan still work in very difficult markets? We run Monte Carlo simulation. Clients are shown a probability or a success of success of their plan. We typically target something that's 80% of bet or better and, and go from there. And we, we don't know what the market's going to do over the next 20, 30 years. So the idea with the sequencing aspect is that if at the point of your retirement, if the markets perform poorly and you're forced to sell principal from your portfolio to generate your distribution needs, then you're going to have less of, less of a nest egg when the market recovers. Hmm. Conceptually, that becomes a matter of running long-term, we call it financial independence analysis, long-term retirement analysis using those Monte Carlo simulations to say, we don't know what the markets are going to do over the next, over the long period of time. There's a variants of outcomes that could happen. Let's run this analysis, running a lot of different market simulations to say, if markets perform really well, how, do, how what does your plan do? If markets perform 
on average, how does your plan do? If markets perform subpar, how does your plan do? And if we see, you know, Great Depression types of market returns, how does your plan do? That's comes back, the Monte Carlo analysis gives us a probability of success. So if we have an 80% probability of success, then 80% of those plans there, 80% of those scenarios, rather, there was at least $1 left at the end. And I think it's better to think about it as an 80% of those scenarios, you didn't need to make any mid-course, mid-course spending corrections, which we all know that in times of of turmoil, uh, we all tend to pull back a little bit. We tend to spend a little less. The 80% success rate is one in which we say, ah, that's 80% of the time we don't need to make changes. 20% of the time we make we need to make changes. And those, those changes could be small to have big impacts on the overall success of your plan. Does that kind of tie into the expected risk versus the standard deviation thought? Yeah, that does. That, re- that really ties in. I mean, standard deviation has... I mean, that is essentially sequencing risk because, the, you know, one can make the argument, well, if stocks always go up, then why isn't, why don't I show 100% stocks? <laughs> <laughs> they do have the highest expected return, but they also have the ex- highest expected <laughs> standard deviation or variability. Standard deviation is the best kind of measure of risk that we have for investing in marketable securities or assets. And of course, Bonds have a lot less variability than stocks. They do have a lower expected return. In terms of withdrawing principal, you're a lot safer, of course, with having an allocation to bonds because of the fact that they have less variability in their pricing. All right. We're talking about asset allocation here in general, but let's look at retirement now. And as a client ages, how does this change? So typically when, I mean, a client ages, they're, their appetite for risk could be lower. Also, their needs for distribution off the portfolio could be increased and they're at, they just need less variability in their portfolio. So ultimately, as you get older, typically the percentage of stocks that you own in your portfolio would go down. Uh, the percentage of diversifiers or bonds in your portfolio would go up and your portfolio would become what we described as a little bit more conservative over time. These people, as they're aging, are finally getting to the point where they are not going to be getting a paycheck anymore from an employer. They are going to have to rely on everything that's coming from that retirement. We'll call it an account, but it's a it's a whole basket of things. And I can understand how people would become more conservative. But can you maintain the level of income that you're used to? Yeah, so that really becomes part of having more growth, more income less growth rather more income in the portfolio and that income helps generate that paycheck to replace the w2 that you had coming in before the income that you had coming in before we'll work with clients to understand what their distribution needs are and then set up a monthly deposit into their checking or savings account to replace the w2 the paycheck they had coming in in prior the income from the portfolio being the uh, the main place where that those distributions come from. And that is a, an interesting thought or question that we, we do get a lot. It's it's that transition for our, for a client that engages us that is looking to retire and they've they've their money that they spend comes directly from, you know, a W2 typically. 
or a 1099, whatever, whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. And they feel a lot of comfort. Like it's going to be there. It's there to make that transition to, well, now I'm going to live off my portfolio, which is subject to market fluctuation. It's just, that's a tough, that's a tough transition to make. There's a lot of uncertainty for clients that we try to give them comfort with. But when you think about it, that W-2 for that client is being paid by one company. The investments that we are making are in many different companies. So there's diversification there. If the company that they currently worked for, you know, sells a particular product and there's some competitive force that makes that product not as good as it was, that's risk they're taking as well. So I do think there's comfort or at least there should be comfort that the investment portfolio is across many different businesses. And we're looking to invest in, of course, businesses that have good business models and strong franchises and have growth prospects. So, Now that we've gotten to that point, how can listeners reach you, both of you guys, if they want to ask you additional questions here or take this just another step further? Yeah, Patrice, thanks. We'd encourage anyone who has any questions or wants to talk to someone to check us out at our website at www.fosterandmotley.com. That's Foster, A-N-D, Motley.com. Or you can reach us toll-free at 1-800-532-2962, 532-2962. Yeah, we would encourage them to visit our, our website. We, we've got a, a lot more insights on there, a lot of content on there for, for any topics that are relevant. Certainly would encourage anyone to visit that. Excellent. Ryan English, Tony Lockhart for Foster and Motley, a podcast about wealth and life. To know when new episodes are available, all you have to do is subscribe to this podcast. And of course, you can also share. I'm Patrice Sikora, and let's talk again later. Thank you for listening to Foster and Motley, a podcast about wealth and life. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information discussed and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Foster and Motley. The content, including mention of specific investments or planning techniques, is for informational and for educational purposes only. It is not intended as a recommendation or a substitute for professional financial advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions regarding your financial planning and investments. Foster and Motley is not affiliated with any third-party providers. Any mention of a third-party provider does not imply an endorsement of that provider. If you decide to utilize a third-party provider, you do so at your own risk.